0: Welcome to episode 7 of Teacher's Lift. Our team is excited to welcome two new hosts to the lift. Eric and Jessica both work at the English Language Centre at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University and they'll be joining us on a regular basis into the future. Just to add one other inter-institutional flavour to the mix, Eric and Jessica are going to be chatting with B, an instructional designer at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. They'll be chatting about the many useful insights B has gained as she's tried to help teachers across the university going online over the past few months.
1: Okay, welcome everybody to the latest installment of the Teachers Lift podcast. If you are hearing different voices, do not adjust your audio. Uh, We are mixing things up today a little bit and going with different hosts. Uh, my name is Eric Tyndall. And I'm Jessica. Hi. And here's my, my partner in crime, Jessica Shah. We come from the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, the English Language Center. Uh, we are teachers there. So this is the first episode of The Lift uh, coming from PolyU.
2: Yay, our first one. And we have a very special guest with us.
1: Yes, we're very happy to be here today in The Lift. And uh, what makes us even more happy is our uh, lovely guest who has joined us here today, Miss um, B. D. from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, uh, the Center of Education Innovation. She is an instructional designer. So, welcome, B.
3: Thank you very much for that lovely intro. Um, I hope I live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe people might want to know what is an instructional designer, and I think I would like to say my. A full-time job is being a forever student. (laughs) Um, I feel like I'm a full-time student with no extra degrees to show for that's an instructional designer. (laughs) That's
2: a great way to put it.
1: So as an instructional designer, you must have had a very busy last four months.
3: Uh, Yes, yes. Um, I probably didn't know what I was doing uh, because it's hard to help everybody at the same time. Um, so, um, I, I guess the only difference is before we're trying to go to people's door to ask them like, Hey, you know, do you want to try flip classroom or do you want to turn your course into a MOOC? But in this situation, people were coming to our door and we were kind of, um, just overwhelmed and overloaded, but, you know, we saw that as a good thing. And, um, I'm just glad that we had a good team to support, you know, for me, I do the instructional design part. I have my other team members who do more on the tools and the tech part, so we working very well together back and forth. If there's something I didn't know, I asked them and then we would coordinate with um, the whole team to try to get the faculty the support they needed. So I felt like the team spirit really showed through and um, also people's willingness. So um, I think it was actually very inspiring, to be honest.
2: How many hours a week are you working now with so much demand? Uh, to be honest, this week is
3: actually a lot better, which is why I'm here. Um, if you asked me <laughs> two weeks ago, I would have told you no. <laughs> um, I'm busy supporting uh, the UST staff. Um, but I think before, it was kind of like 18, 20-hour days almost. I'm going to talk in the morning, oh. waking up at 6 you know, preparing training and getting training nine, ten o'clock in the morning and then two or three times a day.
2: Wow. And you which platform do you use over at UST for these kind of trainings?
3: Um so the university strategically decided to choose Zoom, um, because they only wanted one platform for everybody to learn. And so the training and the community of practice would be um more i guess cohesive um so we had to quickly learn zoom quickly do all the testing and then try to incorporate that into like an interactive um lesson plan to kind of Mm -hmm. lead by doing show them how we'd want them to do a lesson on uh, using Zoom, so uh, I think we kind of snuck that in there. They were expecting something more technical, uh, when in fact we allowed them to be a student first, so mm-hmm. that they can experience what it's like, and they can kind of come up with the potential issues uh, that they would face. And then th- those when that's when all of the good questions came in, and some of them I didn't have an answer for, but you know it was more like maybe you should try this, and then someone else would you know come in and say actually last semester I tried this. And, it, you know, it turned out to be, you know, the faculty sharing. So somehow it was a training that, you know, let them be a student first. And then they put on their instructor hat and then they started helping each other out. Um, but I think um, the modeling really helped because we started to see, you know, our lessons plans, our lesson plans being used in their courses. And there's even one um engineering course that got their students to build, um, you know, like a projector using mm-hmm. anything that they could find around the house. So, you know, like they would use this and then they would attach something to it so that the it, it would allow them to project their phone to show something that they were writing. So, you know, students, you know, uh, had a blast doing that. And then the professor shared with us all of the artifacts that the students produce of, you know, doing a DIY projector with their phones and I thought that was pretty inspiring.
0: Wow,
2: that sounds really fun. Do you think we can do that in a language classroom? Like, have any ideas how we can make that fun for our students in a language classroom? Actually,
3: I think, um, you know, everybody has this agenda to get through and we're forgetting to be very human about it and forgetting that there's lots of opportunities for language usage and language practice um, from, you know, like energizers that we kind of forgot about because now we're just trying to do online teaching. Why not use energizers? Why not ask students to lead something and then show you and teach you through Zoom as well? Or you know, there was one where the teacher just needed a break and was like, "You know what, Jessica, you look like you know a lot about stretches. We need a stretching <laughs> right now." <laughs> so the so the professor called on the student and then the student was like, "Yeah, I'm really good at stretches. Um, first, you put your right hand over your." You know, Uh, I thought that was really cute. And um, it loosened the whole class up. So um, I think it's interjecting those little human elements Mm -hmm. that gets the class.
2: That's a great thing. But Eric, I, I don't know about you, my students just won't turn on their cameras. Like, Eric, what about your students? Do they, do they interact with you? Do they actually turn on their cameras? Yes,
1: it's a, it's, it's a losing battle, I think, to ask them <laughs> to turn on their cameras because they're very reluctant. <laughs> Even their microphones, they're very reluctant, which you can somewhat understand considering you know, we don't know exactly where, they're, where they are at the moment. Um, but B, how about, do you have any tips for teachers who are struggling with that aspect? You know, the, the, Mm -hmm. trying to get students to turn on their cameras or their microphones and trying to get them to participate, uh, in an online synchronous lesson.
3: Okay. Um, so let's see. I, uh, I think I'm trying to think about it from a student's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, They're at home, uh, they may have a lot of noise going on in the background, so as much as I would want all of students to turn their cameras on, um, I know that it might not be practical and feasible, and I think it's important to remember that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, uh, it is difficult to have a discussion if the (laughs) lights are not on. Um, and I think if they at least have their mics on um, I think that's one step forward so at least if that's the expectation to have their mics on no matter what's going on in the background you know chat instead of using the chat box that's not very effective and I've seen that happen where some students are using the chat box and some are using their mics and some are using webcams. so um, for for this we have to be mindful that their home environment is not helpful for their learning and that's not something we can do but um, at least if they can turn on their mic that would help having said that you know um, what can they do to liven up their class energizers I told you about so mm-hmm. Adam showed me the you know zoom bingo why can't we use that for our zoom teaching to consolidate what they learned in the last class and have them you know play bingo with it uh Also, I I just kind of want to say that the lesson plan, I think, is the same as it was in the face-to-face class. You still have, you know, your warmer activity to motivate students. You still have, you know, the um, giving them examples, generalizing it. Um, and then you still have the application part so that they practice what they're doing and they can do that with Google Forms. They can do that with, um, you know, any kind of shared document where they're writing together. Um, they can also, you can also give them a topic. I think Adam has done this in his face-to-face classes where he gets them to teach a class something different, something new. So, you know, mm-hmm. if they're able to break out into groups, they can, you know, um, learn it themselves and then teach the class back so that you're putting... that the the responsibility on the student instead Mm -hmm. and then the debrief is still the same you know they come back and they share um, and when they have to share they're uh, going to be doing the work and then they have Mm -hmm. to have their mics on they have to participate Um, Mm -hmm. I think maybe the challenging thing is when you're when they're in breakout rooms if um, you guys are using something that allows breakout rooms uh, yeah you don't have control, mm-hmm. and the students are kind of lost. So um, I think providing clear instructions and a general template to guide them is just going to make your life a lot easier. And you're not as worried when, when they all leave the main room, um, worried about what they're doing because you they already have one simple template to follow and mm-hmm. they will know what they need to report on. And usually, I mean, I always tell the professors to keep it simple. You You're not gonna expect them to present five slides in an hour, <laughs> yep. give them one slide. Um and yep. have them you know present their work yep um and i and I think modeling is important because if if you're not um giving them an example, they don't know what to give you and they're all shy, so I think um, being human and sharing your own personal story or modeling the example uh, will really help give students the idea and give them direction so that when they go into the breakout room, they're not thinking, what are we doing? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, They know what to expect. And I think having a group leader really helps. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
3: And I've repeated this uh, for all of the professors, to assign someone as a group leader so that they can keep the, uh, the group discussion on track and also they're the ones that will help to facilitate when you're not in there.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you recommend teachers to join the rooms during yeah. like that one hour and just talk to the students or yeah? Uh,
3: yeah, um, I mean, when I was doing a training with 200 faculty, uh, we had 25 breakout rooms um, we, I think we had three people with us. So like we all split it up, but we all made sure we visited all the rooms just to kind mm-hmm. of check in. And then if mm-hmm. they know you might be coming, they're probably going to be more motivated to <laughs> stay on track as well. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I would definitely recommend for you to, you know, go in and visit and jump in. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess another activity that might work is uh jigsaw reading activities or, Um, you know brainstorm activities that they're all kind of working on a document so maybe if they're not talking at least they're all working on something or reading something Mm -hmm. I think all those can still work in a language teaching um, environment Mm -hmm. I mean same face to face it's just how you implement it online is a little bit different but not impossible
2: true yes I've had that with my students like Um, like in the breakout rooms, when I go in, I hear them saying, she's coming, she's coming. (laughs) And then then I feel like, oh, okay, I don't want to interrupt them. So in a way, I was just thinking, should I be going? Like, am I interrupting them? So then sometimes if I uh, let them work on a Google Doc or something like collaboratively together, I can actually monitor what they're doing. And then um, once I see them kind of Stopping. then I go in, so I don't really feel like I'm interrupting them that much. So, yeah, I guess it's just something that we figure out, like, the momentum with our students as well. Eric, have you, have you had any challenges with, like, breakout rooms and just online teaching in general?
1: Well, yes, yeah, I think we've all had those challenges.
3: <laughs> Your challenges.
1: Um, so, B, you're an instructional designer. You were kind of developing e-learning before e-learning became cool, right? So I'm sure a couple months ago, a lot of people, a lot of professors, a lot of um, a lot of staff at the at at Hong Kong UST uh, came to you and asked, "Oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do?" So if I'm a teacher and I find out I have to convert my course to an online course in an to an online format what is the first thing that you recommend that i do
3: you're not going to do it overnight <laughs> it's my first uh piece of advice and you should probably spend a long time uh working it out but to be honest if you had to do it overnight uh i would tell you that less is more mm-hmm. i would tell you to think about how you know what objective can you achieve over the next few weeks and kind of plan your lesson around an activity that will help you achieve that objective. So just kind of guidance, um, if, and, and it also depends because are they expected to do work before they come to the class and, you know, um, or are they, is that all happening in class? I think, you know, I would probably ask you more questions and I could give you answers. And when when people think about online learning, I think there's this misconception that you just throw everything online and students do it. And that's a misconception uh, because you actually have to plan from the in-class work first so that you know what to put online to support students for that in-class work. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I mean, I would think about the objective of your lesson and what is reasonably possible to put online and throw away the rest.
1: <laughs> right. So what, what do you think is the biggest mistake that uh, teachers make when they're you know, doing this conversion, converting to online learning? Because I'm sure you have a many stories of professors who have made pretty glaring mistakes or have had a pretty tremendous difficulties making this conversion. Um, so what do you think, what, what is the biggest mistake that tends to happen?
3: So are you talking about, like, a full blended learning conversion?
1: Yes, or just anything that we've been doing, you know, over the last few months of the universities in Hong Kong and around the world uh, as they try to move all their courses from a face-to-face format into an online format. Is there any mistake that really stands out and uh, that you've observed affects the, uh, negatively affects the quality of the teaching?
3: I don't want to say mistakes. I I think the biggest is managing students' expectations. And why is that important? Because um, students, um, students don't know what's going on. And maybe um, um, we expect for them to know how to do things when in fact they need time to adjust, they need training, and they need to know, you know, uh, exactly what the outcome is. So I think we tend to forget that and we we think, oh, students already know online and they can do it all. And in fact, they need a lot of hand-holding. So I think that's the mistake. So besides giving too much, um, expecting that they know things and assuming that they can get on with it. And I guess the um, the final thing is um, students not being able to see the connection uh, to to. Uh, so for example, the midterm, you're using the same midterm as you were doing um, with, the, with, with the face-to-face materials. And in fact, you didn't cover that in your online materials. And then now you're still testing them on it. So there's not that alignment and students um, are very upset about that. And I think that was a big, a big thing where people think they can just take what they've done in the face-to-face and then fully transfer it online. And, I, and and that's n- never, ever the case because uh, whenever you're doing something online, you do have to think about what is good to go online, what is good to go face-to-face, and again, what can I take out? Um,
1: yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that you think from a student's perspective sometimes yes. when you're doing this. You, you, you put yourself in the student's shoes. Um, mm-hmm. So what what do you think a student wants to see from the online materials? Or what does the student expect to see from online materials?
3: Um, I think they expect it to not take a long time. So um, (laughs) reasonable workload, I think, I mean, the the first thing they're gonna worry about is the workload, you know? Like you're telling me to do all this work online, how much time have you actually given me? Um, so if I'm talking about like a flipped classroom, it's usually one hour or one hour and a half. We make sure we give them just an hour of online materials. Mm-hmm. We don't overwhelm them. We don't overdo it. And if we are giving them more than they have to, that's supplementary. Like it's, you know, if you want to have more information, go ahead and do that. Um, and I think after that, they expect what they're doing online to be transferable to what they're going to be doing in the classroom. Otherwise, why did I do it online? So for example, if you're asking them to do something and they're not getting feedback, then they'll probably wonder why did you ask me to do that? So there's no audience for them, right? So, you know, it, I think there's a difference of giving them work to keep them busy or giving them work with a purpose. And uh, and again, I go back to the objective and this is something I always stress. Whenever I'm working with professors is what's the objective of this? What do you expect students to do and why? Um, so, uh, and yeah, so I think students are very simple. They're practical. They don't want a lot of work and they want to do something for a purpose. Um, and I think if we fulfill these two things, they're pretty happy about it because they can study all that stuff on their own. They can take as much time as they want and they know the work is fair. You've you know, told them that I you were given an hour of online materials and I'll give you an hour online. So if your classes are three hours, you say, okay, class is not gonna be two hours. And this hour of online you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. They'll feel happy about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, from the feedback that you've been getting from students, they they really enjoy this mode of learning.
3: Yeah, and you know some professors can't keep to the one hour and a half, for example. They'll go on mm-hmm. for two hours. Students will notice and say, you know, this professor, um, everything is two hours, although they've only allocated an hour and a half to us online. Mm-hmm. Just Okay. <laughs>
2: That's a great tip. (laughs) What do you think like students like most about online learning or blended learning? What do you think that the element is for them? Do they enjoy most?
3: To be honest, it's um, being able to review the materials on their own time, at their own time, place and space. Okay, time meaning when they're mentally alert. So Mm -hmm. I don't like 8.30 lessons. Um, I'm going to look at these materials 12 o'clock in the afternoon or they also like it in bite-sized chunks so Mm -hmm. you know like the videos or the materials they can you know stop it at any time Um, they can you know come back to it after 30 minutes and then decide okay I'm gonna continue reading this article I'm gonna continue watching these next two videos Um, they also can study with their friends because you know just like if you're taking a math course or something if you have a study group you'll probably you know, be more motivated. And I think if there's materials online, they can study with their friends and they'll be more motivated to study. Um, and also they can study it anywhere, you know, like while they're walking, while, while they're on the train, we get feedback from students saying, you know, um, I wish the, the videos were lower quality so I can watch it on the train. I'm like, what? <laughs> we prefer higher quality, but okay. <laughs> so then we do, we, we give the students a lower quality video so they can download on their phone and watch it on the train on their way to school. I mean, you know, most of them come from faraway places, like an hour to get to UST or an hour and a half. So by then they can finish their whole online lecture and they feel like they've saved a lot of time.
1: B, you bring up a great point that the students really appreciate the autonomy of the format. They like how they Mm -hmm. can review these materials at any time of the day. Day or night, whenever they're feeling, you know, most uh, most ready for them, and they can review them over and over and over again. Um, Of course, this lines up with a lot of the research on online learning. Yeah. So my next question then is kind of connected to that, which is: Are the synchronous lessons absolutely necessary? Because the synchronous lessons, you know, take place at a certain fixed time. Yeah, ten thirty. You know, ten thirty to eleven thirty. If we're going to tell the students. Um, You know, you're only allowed to learn this from 10.30 to 11.30 on a Wednesday. Isn't that kind of contrary to the whole idea of autonomy being uh, the main focus of online learning?
3: Um, Can I ask a a question before I answer? When you're saying they can only learn that from... This hour to this hour, does that mean like giving a a live lecture? Does that mean like in in the actual lesson or?
1: I'm just referring to, you know, your your typical synchronous lesson over Zoom um, where, you know, the teacher is interacting with the students in real time. Um, You know, this, this synchronous lesson only happens at a certain time of the day, a certain time of the week. Are, is that even necessary? If the students really appreciate the autonomous factor, then you know, wouldn't, isn't that kind of undermining to say, "Well, you have to show up now to do the second half at this given time"?
3: Um, yes and no. I'm going to give you a non-answer, mainly because it depends on what the um, uh, it depends on what the purpose is. Because if you're if you're there all at the same time because you need to have group discussions and you need, you know, live feedback from the instructor, then you should be there. But if it's lecture based um, and it's uh, beneficial for students to watch that before they come to class, then, you know, maybe you don't need to have that. So I guess what I'm thinking about is, you know, if you lecture at home, it doesn't have to be synchronous. If you are doing homework in class altogether, then it should be Uh, face-to-face and live Um, so I I guess it depends on the expectation if I'm taking a fully online class I won't expect that but if I'm in university and I have paid for it and I expected this live session then I would expect it but of course um, some students feel better you know to have a three-hour lecture and some students feel like they need to do some kind of application hands-on activity so I think you know um, it varies as well and I and again it's about the expectation
1: Right. So each, I don't that makes sense. no, exactly. it, it makes it makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah. So it's it's kind of up to the teacher then to decide how how necessary and you know the subject and you know there's a lot of there are a lot of moving parts, variable factors here. Um, but you're talking earlier about some of the the um, some of the the benefits of these um, non synchronous materials, these online materials, online lectures that they can review. Um, we're kind of wondering, at PolyU, and I'm sure elsewhere, um, are there some areas of online learning um, where we can achieve things that just aren't possible in a face-to-face format?
3: I guess let me give a short answer, and then I'll mm-hmm. extend on that. So I think it's po- it's possible... Um, to do activities online, you know, like uh, to have students practice something that, and it, and they can spend time practicing that. Um, so there is some kind of instant feedback that online environment gives you that the face-to-face can't, right? So it's just like what you were talking about, Jessica, you're able to now see 10 Google Sheets at the same time. Um, and then if you were able to see that and then you know quickly give feedback, then students would get that feedback. They wouldn't know exactly what to do by the time they come to class. And now they would have excellent questions to ask you. So I think in general, the short answer to that question, Eric is, it's just possible for them to prepare online first before they can come with ideas, come with good questions in the face-to-face class. And to be honest, in online in um, language teaching the way it is currently, um, we don't give students a lot of online uh, work before they come to class. So that's why, you know, um, there might be a bit of struggle when when they do come to class. So if you put, you know, some online for them to prepare ahead of time, I think the face-to-face class will be richer. Uh, they'll have more to discuss, they'll actually want to show you what they did, or they want to show their peers what they did.
1: Right. I, I, what, what I've kind of experienced, and I don't know if you agree with this Bea, and or Jessica as well, um, you know, we were talking earlier about how students are very reluctant to participate, uh, to turn on their mics, turn on their cameras. But actually I found that even though they're more reluctant to actually speak, they're more willing. To participate using the chat function, because this is kind of a maybe uh, the the barrier to entry is you know is is a little bit lower when they're just chatting online because there's nothing really to lose. They're not nobody can see their face, nobody can see who they are. So when you ask a question, it's kind of nice to then see five or six people chiming in with answers, which is something you might not do in the in a face to face classroom. You might stop after you get two. you know, you get two answers. So I found actually, you know, the students are more willing to participate, although it's not, you know, the, the best way of participation just by chatting it in. But at least um, I've kind of found that one of the surprises of uh, this, this format is they're, they're more willing to speak out because they're, they're less inhibited in this online chatting format. And I don't know if you've observed similar experiences.
2: Uh, the chat function for me has been quite... Well, um, weird at times because I keep waiting for someone to finish typing, and that takes forever. And so I'm just sitting there waiting for this student to type, and then it ends up just being a very random question. So, yeah, I, I do understand um, what you're talking about, Eric, and I do feel like students are very comfortable using the chat function because they're doing that on their phones all the time with their friends. And. It, it, it's something that's very natural to them and they do participate a lot using the chat function.
3: Yeah. I think they're just in their element, you know, they're just always used to texting. They probably feel more comfortable and it's kind of their barrier. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's kind of yeah. like mask they hide
3: behind, I suppose.
2: Yep. Yes. I
3: yes. think it's good. I mean, uh, you know, although it's um, English language, they should be speaking. But I think if they're expressing their opinions, I mean, they are participating and you just have to look at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I those shy students who wouldn't normally raise their hand to speak are actually speaking on the chat. I think that's mm-hmm. a good thing.
2: Yeah. And, and they keep saying, hi, bye. Thank you. Like all of that in the chat box. Normally when I leave a classroom face-to-face, students won't be saying, thank you so much, bye, like they just leave. But then, you know, in an online lesson, they do have that kind of interaction and it's it's quite sweet and warm to see, especially evening lectures go on till like 9.30 p.m. and they're saying, thank you so much, a good night, things like that, yeah. It just brings a human element to it. And you were talking about that as well earlier on. Uh, I remember one of our colleagues had this tip uh, for, for everyone. So she has this bird and she would have the bird sit on her shoulder like during her synchronous sessions. And then the students actually, like when the bird's not there, the students would be like turning on their mics and saying, Hey, where's your bird? I miss your bird. You know, those, those human elements. And then, Uh, Other students had, like, their cat, you know, just jumping on their laptops and accidentally turning on their mics. And I just hear, like, like it sounds like that. And my student, like, the student would turn on their mic and say, I'm so sorry, my cat just jumped on my laptop. And then I would just kind of follow up with the question. I was like, wow, does your cat want to answer that question? Hey, you know, something like that. So it, it really just brings some sort of liveliness to the class and I think that's that's really important because I think we all miss interaction with students it's like be like just just curious like you were a teacher before for a very long time and then you moved to being an an instructional designer do you ever miss like interaction with your students Yes and no.
3: Okay, but let me tell you why, because I feel like I'm with I'm with students in spirit, like whenever Mm -hmm. I'm designing a course, I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about how they would react. So um, to be honest, I, I, I think it's a trade off because I actually really enjoy observing someone else who's really good at teaching and connecting with the students because I go in to observe the class and to be able to see a professor engage 100 students. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of all nodding because they've already got that online input I just think like you know what that's great because my objective is focusing on the bigger picture um, which is making sure all departments focus on student centered learning not just the English language center Mm -hmm. Um, and with that I think I'm okay to kind of let someone else do that and you know have me of watch them do it because I think it's a big shift for them and they enjoy it you know for them to go away from being a sage on the stage to a a guide on the side it's hard work and when I see it like halfway through the semester they're awesome at it and then the students are fully engaged and we get positive feedback from students. I think like yeah it's worth it so Mm. what I care more about it's the whole institutional shift and you know, to follow the teaching principles of the language centers all around the world, I think um, I'm okay to give that up.
2: Oh, <laughs> such a great answer.
1: B, you were talking um, you're talking before about this uh, this kind of the shift, uh, and we kind of want to transition now to the future. Um, I'm sure you've been observing a lot of changes over the last uh, few months and how. Uh, faculties, departments, professors perceive online teaching, online teaching and learning. Um, you know, presumably, we're all going to go back to a normal face-to-face environment at some point in the future. Um, but do you think there are any changes that you've been observing that might be permanent fixtures going forward? Like something that you know we've we've we've. Um, something we've tried and we realize, oh yeah, we're, we're going to, yeah, we're going to keep this even in our face, even when we have face-to-face classes.
3: Um, Honestly, I think it's the interactive element because when I was training the 200 professors, I don't know if they thought about interactive. I mean, that term interactive before, but now whenever we're talking with them, they tell us, oh, you know, I tried this, I I wanted students to have a discussion. I tried this activity um, and then students didn't respond. I did a poll, I used this. And before it was just lecturing. And now they're just using all of these e-learning terms that I never thought they would use before. So somehow I think this idea of active learning, interactivity um, is just kind of natural now because for UST, for example, the provost was saying that we want live interactive classes so that term interactive is coming out of everybody's mouth now um and i think that's a good shift and i think that will i mean it's not um widespread now but it will start and and it will be um kind of spiraling Mm -hmm. i think much faster than it was before
1: so fascinating. You think the, um, it's not going to be just the language departments that are striving for interactive lessons. You think this is going to be a, um, a permanent change over all the different faculties and different departments. Um, how about you personally? I'm sure you know, you've observed a lot over the last half year, year. Um, what personally has the last four months taught you?
3: Um, I don't know what it has taught me personally, but it's taught me a lot about people, that people can change the way they do things on a global scale if they have to, and they can do it fast. Um, and at the end of the day, we all care, and we're trying to do you know our best to make it work, um, even those that are resistant. <laughs> um And I also think that there's a silver lining to most situations. So where there is chaos, there is also opportunity. I see a great opportunity here and I'm ready for it. I'm ready to ride it, which is why I don't mind putting in 18, 20 hour days. And I really like the fact that I don't have to sell the benefits of online learning anymore, but I do need to provide more support for it. Um, COVID-19 hit the world by surprise and it somehow united the whole world in the struggle to find toilet paper. And also the struggle to quickly adapt and provide support to each other. And I think it's truly amazing, um, all of the support that's pouring in, all of the resources that, pour, that are pouring in, all of the free resources that are pouring in from all of these private companies, you know, like now I'm getting emails of um, them saying, like, oh, we're giving it to you for free now. You don't have to have the premium account. I really think that's awesome. So, you know, things like Padlet, you have to, you only had three that you could use, but now they'd be offering the free account. So now you can have 30 Padlets. <laughs> Um, but I think if I have to say something for language teaching, I think I'm seeing a shift of more towards skill-based, competency-based rather than proficiency. And that social movement really triggered the desire for students to learn about sources, learn about language, tone, audience, that they never you know, really thought about that deep before. And we had to sell it to them and that's something we don't have to do now. And I think it's been positive somehow in that sense. Um, So it's given me a lot of hope. And I'm very, very excited. I think there's um, lots of change happening in teaching and learning. And it's going in my direction. (laughs) Um, But I also still feel like there's so much I don't know. And there's so much I have to learn. And there's so much I have to learn from teachers and their experience to try to make sure we're not overloading teachers, we're not overloading students, we're finding a balance for everybody so that people don't hate online learning they can appreciate it and I think that balance is actually really hard to get so I think um, focusing on meeting the teachers needs and the students needs should be the core of anything that we do whether it's online or face-to-face um, and I try to think about that often so now I'm thinking about it from the teachers perspective too and trying to push back not try to push too much so small victories are good
2: mm-hmm Yes, and I think we're all going to be like sitting down and reflecting on these like couple of months, what we've learned, how we can take that into our teaching in the coming year. I think that's when hopefully we'll have you on this podcast again, maybe like you can give us some long term tips on if we really want to restructure a course, for example, like we really want to. Learn from like the great experiences we had with students online, and we want to put that back into our course. you know what are some things that we need to do? Um, and I think that's where your expertise come come in. So hopefully we can have you on this podcast again. Uh, so yeah, and I can say one thing to that. yeah. And just
3: because you know I was there, um, I think having a team that supports it is really important. because if you're going to have a team, um, of half supporting it and half not it's just not going to work out. So I think if you are planning that I would start um, you know contacting people to be part of that team who are truly on board mm-hmm. with it because only then will they also sell that idea to the students.
2: Mm-hmm. Great my,
3: my greatest challenge of working with people who don't believe in it um, and that makes it challenging so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the first step. Yeah, a little, a little disclaimer well, <laughs> here.
1: B mentioned yeah. it. B just referred to it before. Um, B did work at PolyU before, so she's an ex an ex colleague of uh, Jessica and mine. Uh, and we're very happy mm-hmm. to see her again um, uh, on uh, on the Lyft podcast and uh, to hear some mm-hmm. of the um, some of her views on instructional design and some of the experiences and. Uh, some of the changes she's observed over the last few months. So, thank you very much, Bee, for being here with us.
2: Thank Christy. you. Thank you I'm so much. I love you guys a lot, and I miss yes. planning with you. Yes, and I really miss our philosophical discussion.
0: Teachers Lift is an interinstitutional collaborative endeavor produced by colleagues at the English Language Center at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, the Center for Language Education at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and the Center for Applied English Studies at the University of Hong Kong. We hope you've enjoyed the content we've prepared for you today. If you have, please subscribe to the podcast and like or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever your preferred social media source is. You can find all the links on our website at teacherslift.com.